Welcome to the E Street Cafe podcast, the cool, friendly place for great music chat. Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Matthews here, and welcome to the E Street Cafe podcast. Believe it or not, this is episode 11. Who would have thought two, three months ago, episode 11 would ever see the light of day, Dan? What do you think? It's amazing, uh, Jeff. Yeah, it's great to be back. And uh, hey, it's always a good day in the E Street Cafe. That should be our, our tagline, shouldn't it? Absolutely. Well, people are still listening, so I guess we've got to carry on and keep doing these. Must be doing something right. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And um, you might have heard another voice there. We we have a third person joining us today. Um, it's Paul Limbrick. Paul, welcome. Thank you for having me. Lovely to be here. And we, where are you calling us from today? Where are you? Are you in Wales, by any chance? Uh, yes, uh, in Caerphilly, which is just... Just north of Cardiff, just over the mountain. It's almost a suburb of Cardiff. But, uh, okay, cool. And it's great to have you on. And uh, we'll give a little clue as to why Paul has joined us. We all have one thing in common between us. Um, in the early 80s, both myself, Paul and Dan, amongst many other people, did something which the younger listeners will not have heard of. It's called a fanzine. Uh, fanzines didn't involve any kind of technology, they were effectively magazines which were put together really just to inform readers about what was happening with Bruce. Um, Paul ran one called Jackson Cage. I had one called Rendezvous. And Dan, the stalwart of the fanzine editors, had one called Point Blank. So, uh, Paul, it, it, I think one thing we've already done in episode one, I think it was, with Dan and with Mike, is we talked about how did it all start for you with Bruce? How did you get introduced to Bruce's music and where did that lead to initially? Just to preface that a little bit, um, I grew up on glam rock, really. We're all of the same vintage, I think, all three of us, and Mike and Dave, but there's not much between us. So for me, at 10 years old, it was Alice Cooper and Mick Ronson, Ian Hunter, Mop the Hoople, and then Queen Kiss. So that was kind of where my tastes lay. But I heard we were coming home from school one day, having done our O-levels. So this would sort of be the summer of 78 or early summer of 78. And I'm pretty sure it was Badlands that was on the radio. Okay. Could have been Prove It All Night because they are similar structurally, you know, with the guitar mm -hmm. break and saxophone bit. I'm pretty sure it was Badlands. Um, and, of course, that wasn't really my taste in music. But just having come away from the punk thing, I mean, Badlands, if you isolate those lyrics, is it could be a punk song. You know, Joe Strummer could put a different could have put a different tune to that. And uh, yeah. so that piqued my interest, really. Um, I couldn't get my hands on that single or the album at the time. The album may not have been out. Um, I'm trying to think. I did make a note of when it came out, June 78, I think. So it might have been a little bit before that. So um, the guy in the record shop said, oh, we haven't got that, but have you heard Born to Run? I said, I've never heard of it. I don't even know who this bloke is. Yeah. Bear in mind all the hype of 75. Uh, yeah. I wasn't aware of any of that. Just, um, so that was it, really. Born to Run, great album. And then I think the, the real moment was when they showed Rosalita on the Old Grey Whistle Test. And I think that was year zero for a lot of Bruce fans. Yeah. And we always go back. People say, oh, this Bruce Springsteen fellow. And we'd always say, didn't we, you've got to see him live. 
Yeah. And I think that that cemented it then because that was really exciting. Um, yeah. And to this day, it's exciting. How many times have we watched that? So yeah, that, was my in, that was my introduction to Bruce. And I was in and I was done then. And it was go back and buy the other albums. And when's the next one coming out? And so it was quite, quite fanatical, really. Yeah. Even just having heard one great album, Born to Run, and then two mediocre ones, I suppose. Uh, Wild and Innocent has grown, has grown on me. No, I still have that in my top five albums, I think. I, especially Side 2. I, I don't think you can beat yeah. Side 2 with The Wild and the Innocent. It is one of the best Bruce vinyl sides you could have. I always say that and Side 4 mm. of the River. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strong. But it's all subjective, you know. It's you know, you ask a hundred different Bruce fans or ten different Bruce fans, you're always going to get different answers because we all like different things. Yeah, and that's absolutely. Yeah. Music generally, isn't it? And yeah. I think just going back to what you're saying about the old Ray Whistle test, Wikipedia um, Saunders uh, informed us reliably that um, that was shown March 1979. I think he said um, was when yes. we UK just had the anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So, so that would tie in with, with what I remember then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you're right about Darkness was released 2nd of June, I think I remember rightly, 78. Yeah, June 78. Um, Prove It All Night was the lead single. So I'm just wondering whether Prove It All Night made it across the UK airwaves just prior to release. And that might have been, you know, spring 1978 for you, Paul. Which would tie in with O level time down here at least. Oh, so, okay. so it may have been proven all night that I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So, in terms of 1979, seeing Rosalita on the Old Grey Whistle Test, which was legendary from Phoenix, how did you then decide to produce a fanzine? What were, what was the steps for you next after that? Oh, that that came a long time after. I think that was. Um, the end of 1982. No, it was around about the time Nebraska came out. So what was that? September 82, October? Yeah, it was the fall of 82, like yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so it would have been around about that time. Um, I'd already bought Candy's Room, and I think point blank. To be absolutely honest, I mean, and again, I have to preface this a little bit. Having read Dave Marsh's book um, and the, the first Dave Marsh book, and he mentioned The Promise. Mm. And Frankie and action in the streets and oh, yeah, yeah. The way, how can I get hold of these songs? I, I've got everything that Bruce had released up to that point, five, five albums. But outtakes have always fascinated me from all my favourite artists, and even to this day, I'm still looking. I'll go on YouTube or I'll go somewhere. What about this? You know, uh, the Clash, uh, Rap Patrol from Fort Fort Bragg. Brian Wilson, Sweet Insanity, any outtakes, but Bruce particularly, it was almost like an obsession. Yeah. Now, living where I lived on Barry Island, there were no record fairs. Camden Market, I suppose, I could have made the trip one day. But yeah. So I started the fanzine really to connect with other fans in the okay. hope that they could not give me tapes for free or anything like that, but point me in the right direction as to where I could get hold of these things. And um, already inspired by Candy's Room and Point Blank, as yeah. to how you know a fanzine should be produced and how it should be informative. That's what I proceeded to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. excellent. And um, we, we we keep in touch with a lot of people in the community, but unfortunately, we, we've lost contact with Gary Desmond from Candy's Room. Yes, uh, I last saw him in nineteen no sorry nineteen ninety nine I think it was Manchester Arena the reunion gig, 
uh, and I haven't seen him since, um, which is a shame because we were quite close with Gary, both myself and Jim Page. And I know you kept in, you you oh, yeah. hung out with him a few times, didn't you, Dan? As well, some folks. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Gary myself since uh, ooh, mid late eighties, probably. Uh, yeah. Very long, very long time. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were just, um, just just before we kind of um, went live with this podcast, we, me and Dan were just recollecting all the different fanzines. And I think what you did in issue five of Jackson Cage. You was it five? I, I, I didn't even know whether it was five or six. <laughs> there we are, five. Maybe five, five was an outtake, <laughs> unreleased. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, <laughs> we were looking at your list of fanzines and some of them, you know, Dan, for example, just said, oh, I forgot about Out in the Street by, with John Monson. You know, that was kind of a kind of one that was under the radar a little bit. But I remember, I think my first one was um, Bruceness, Stu Reed. Yeah, good old Stu. Yeah, that was nice work, Stu. Yeah, and Backstreets, of course. I've still got um, some of the early copies of Backstreets as well, which uh, sadly, as we know, is no longer going to be, mm. uh, surely. Mm. But uh, did you have, do you, you don't have to say Rendezvous or Point Blank just because you're on with me and Dan here, but did you have any particular favourite uh, fanzines that you look forward to getting don't forget dave percival also listens in from the fever oh so. that, that that's a that's a dreadful question, <laughs> <laughs> you know especially with um with with dave percival um lurking in the shadows um i i i don't one there, there were a few things that stuck in my mind i remember clearly uh one of dave's issues of the fever after the british born in the usa leg had finished yeah. And it was so concise as to the shows and you'd have to read it again. There's a lot of detail in it. And, and it was like, oh, I, f I forgot that bit. Or um, where well, I think Roy Bitten goes into um, uh, Cast Your Fate to the Wind. And I thought and that was mentioned in his review. I, thought, I forgot that. They yeah. sound like little trivial things. But when you're trying to think back to how great a show was and you haven't had the audio cassette yet yeah. or the bootleg. Um, so I remember that particularly. Um, I remember Dan um, with his pseudonyms, Are You Loose? Remember that? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, these little I, things stick in your mind. Yeah. You still use them today. The, the, re the reason I did that, I think, Paul, was because, uh, well, like you, like all of us, basically, I mean, I think many people didn't realize, but, you know, we were a, a one-man show. I, I was mm. pretty much doing everything mm. to start with until I obviously mm. met contacts who could contribute but uh, certainly early on it was all me and so i thought I, I need to be you know kind of like give myself multiple identities so are you loose just came out as an idea once <laughs> brilliant brilliant and of course the thing that we'd all all remember most fondly is um how holly was so generous with all her photos and reports and the thing that was always remarkable to me i'd have a letter from holly um been to see this show and photos of photos and I would put that in the fanzine. And then you guys would do it as well. But it was always <laughs> different. It wasn't it wasn't like oh here it is for the fourth or fifth time. There was it was just almost a different review, but they were the same shows and and that was tremendous. Where would we have been in fanzine world without dear old Holly? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we being we, that main uh, contributor to these hands. I can't remember which episode it was, but we, we mentioned Holly. Uh, it was when um, Donna from Bruce Funds, wasn't it? That it was with, with, with Donna, and I'm sure it, her name yeah. will keep yeah. coming up because she yeah. has mm. had a massive influence with everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, tremendous. Lovely little footnote with Holly, and this has nothing to do with fansies, but when I moved to Bristol, 
my boy was, oh, couldn't have been more than six or seven months old. And just one day, out of the blue from Holly, was a New Jersey T-shirt and a New York Yankees um, baseball cap. But they were junior ones, completely out of the blue. I hope your boy likes these. And I've never, ever forgotten that. Never, never. Fantastic. Very generous with the time. And, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we sadly missed. And uh, mm-hmm. I, um, so the River Tour, 81, I presume you went. Wembley Arena, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. The, whatever it was, Saturday night, Wembley Arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. My, that... my first brew show. Yeah, okay. And uh, I guess you've seen them again since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of times. Nowhere near as you lot. I mean, you must be up to about a thousand shows between you, surely. And that's not an exaggeration, is it? If you include Mike and Dave, uh, surely. I'm still 80 or 90, I think. I, I, I stopped counting. Um, but Dan has clocked past 200. I think Mike's gone past 200, hasn't he? <laughs> uh, Mike's not, not quite as many as me, but, but there was um, we were sitting around uh, um, having a, uh, a get-together when Bruce was in, in Paris last time around, I think it was. And uh, um, incidentally, I think that the last time we saw uh, Chris Hunt, someone else who we've lost, um, uh, Chris. Chris, who also, yeah. as we've... It was I was about to say contributed a lot to our, to our fanzines, but um, as any random bits of artwork and whatnot. But yeah, we sat around and I, it might have been Chris that asked the question because there were a few of us kind of uh, oldies there, and I forget the, the figure, but it just came up with like okay, how many shows around the table, and it was some ridiculous number. There <laughs> was a Facebook post at the time down about that. I think. Yeah. So talk to us about. Um, I think it'd be nice just to go around the table here and, and, and talk about how um, how fanzines were put together back in the eighties. Because now, if you want to publish something, you, you've got all the PDFs, you've got you know graphic designers, front mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, PC programs, they can put things together very very artistically. But for us, I don't know about you, Paul. To, to tell us about how you put your fanzine together. I'm looking at issue number four here now in front of me. And oh, it's... please don't. <laughs> Donna, Donna. That, that's a Donna Fenton uh, photograph. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Suitably credited along the side as well. Handwritten, can I say, uh, as well, okay. which I think is authenticity. And the good thing is as well is that the staples in my – the three staples down the side are now rusted. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's always right. a good sign. That, that's how you know it's a real vintage copy. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But tell – were you working at the time? Did you have time to put these fancies y- together? Yes. Yeah, I was in full-time work. I had quite a responsible job uh, for a shipping line, Shoreside. I never went to sea. But it was office work. So, of course, I had access to the typewriter in my lunch break. And my boss was always very generous with the paper. I'll take that home if you want, you know, blank paper. Yeah. So if an idea came to me, I would sort of do it in longhand and then type it up. Um, And I I think most of us, we ran to about 20 pages, I think, didn't we? Ten. Yeah. 10 pages, 20, 20 sides. Yeah. So if you take out your front and back cover and then your, your page for adverts and uh, your page for credits, well, you'd already fall down before you've even written anything. So it was just a case of filling those up and trying to do it in an interesting way, really. Um, I don't think the, the – it's a very interesting thing about the UK fanzines. I don't think we ever repeated stuff. We, we didn't copy – each no. other's stuff there was every issue that we each put out we, oh well, that's interesting and so it, was, yeah. it wasn't too difficult to come up with with a new idea really especially once the born in the usa sort 
tour started. I mean, that was uh, because I didn't come along. I came along between the between the river and bone in the USA. Yeah, um, I know you, Dan. You could you report uh, crack, the cracking issue you, where you reported on the river tour. Mm. And you got that great photo of the spotlight on Bruce. Was that Jeff Nagel's photo? Uh, pretty sure that was Paul. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. great, well, great yeah. photo. You're listening to the History Cafe podcast. Come on in, because we're open all night. I, I was obviously lucky, very lucky with the timing for me that everything mm -hmm. started for me just before that tour, effectively. And so um, um, that, that, was, that, was, that was lucky timing. But I was thinking what you were saying. It's fascinating when you think that there were at least, you know, like five major, they're major, they're the, ones, the ones we tend to talk about most. Mm -hmm. um, fanzines just in the UK in the mid-80s. And as you say, we didn't duplicate. In fact, uh, I'm often reminded of one of the funny things about the way uh, me and Dave started when Dave was doing The Fever was that uh, I didn't realize but he had been sending me contributions to Point Blank in the early days. Yeah. And um, once I started to get a few bits and pieces coming in from, from, from readers and so forth, and I thought, great, you know. But for whatever reason, and it wasn't deliberate, I don't think I included some of the stuff he sent and not realizing that, that here was this guy with full of creative ideas. And then before I knew it, so out of the blue, suddenly the fever appeared and I thought, brilliant, you know, a whole another fanzine, you know, and we were never felt like rivals. Of course, it was just, you know, no, no. more of the same, fantastic and, and, a, and a, a friend. Um, and I said, you know, what was the inspiration? And he said, well, you never used any of my stuff. <laughs> A songwriter that can have a hit of his own, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Give the songs to other people. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I take a little credit in helping to start the fever accidentally. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Just so uh, our listeners know that uh, we're working after hours here in the cafe because we're in the UK and, and we're recording this at half past seven at night. So Rosie has gone home, uh, but she's been very good. She's left. She's left some uh, coffee for us, uh, Paul. So on your desk, you should have a latte to you from Rosie, and uh, she's also left you a, a pie that a pie that binds as well. <laughs> so uh, a pie that binds. So. Oh come on, that's that's worse than toasty of Tom Joe, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. So anyway, so tuck in. Anyway, uh, it comes with uh, Rosie's. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. still hasn't spoken in the cafe, by the way, but uh, we're going to rectify that soon. Um, the other thing as well, just talking about the fanzines, um, I think what also helped us avoid repetition amongst us is that we had uh, little Stephen break off in 82, 83 anyway. So there was a lot of activity going on with little Stephen, which we all reported on. And obviously we had the Dukes. We all kept an eye and reported mm -hmm. on, what was yeah. on the Dukes. So it purely... It, for me, it, the fanzine started to evolve beyond just Bruce sometimes, you know, certainly tracking little Stephen and his gigs that he did in uh, London in 82 and then the tour of 83. But one thing that makes me laugh still to this day, and I still keep all these fanzines in my garage, is thinking, how the hell did we actually put them together? You know, how did we find time? You know, we all had jobs at the time. I was working for a bank and my tactic was, I'd wait till all the bosses went home at five o'clock and they always looked for volunteers. They looked for one volunteer to stay to quarter to six because the phones would ring after half five sometimes. So I always put my hand up to stay late. 
for the sole reason that I could use the works photocopier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that was my fanzine time from 5 to 5.45. And um, a number of secret trips I took to the work photocopier once the bosses had gone home was uh, was quite funny. And uh, uh, we, we applaud you for that. But go on, how, how did you manage to put yours together? Did you kind of, um, did you photocopy the initial ones or did you get them printed professionally? Yeah, I, I think the very first few copies of uh, issue one was done professionally with a, with a printer. Yeah. But it, it became a little bit difficult because I'd moved from Barry Island to Bristol and the, the printer was was on, on, on in Barry. So that became a little bit tricky. So the first few were done professionally, collector's items, ladies and gentlemen, if you've got one of those. But the rest of them then were, were just photocopied and, and and that's how it proceeded really to, to various degrees of quality. But uh, you know, it was it could all be done cheaply then. It, it wasn't a really expensive thing to do, especially if you're doing them in bulk. I mean, I don't know how many, um, I would imagine point blank, you, a lot of copies per issue, Dan. But with myself, it was probably, I remember Pete Still, I, I spoke to Pete Still about um, having all his photographs from the Born in USA tour, and it was expensive. And he said, well, if you just put an advert in your fanzine, then you can have them for free. He said, how many do you produce? And I think my answer to Pete was about 150. And on that basis, I said, yeah, there you are. And the box arrived. And I suppose you've all got those photos anyway. You know the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I did something quite similar. What about you, Dan? How did you print off your early editions? Well, yes, I went through a kind of variety of, um, of methods, as you say. I think the very first one uh, that I did, I got my dad to do it because very luckily for me, he worked in a, a place it was called a teacher's center it was basically a place where they had all kinds of back in the day they were called audio vis, vi, audio visual facilities and um and it was one of those old sort of ronio stencil duplicators that you know uh, we, us guys might remember but that's a real bit of history um probably a, a machine from the 60s or something uh very very cheap and, and cheerful kind of production and then Later, with other other uh, uh, other issues, as as time went on, going through different sorts of copiers. Um, one of them was actually printed by uh, Chris Hunt's friend uh, Max, um, who I got to know, um, who who was a printer. So he he did that for me, uh, which looked fantastic. That was, I think, the fourth issue. Uh, so a step up for that, and that was getting to be a little bit but expensive. But then I, I managed to economize after that because uh, I had a job myself as a printer for a charity. So that was brilliant. For a couple of years, I was able to do everything you know, for absolutely for cost. Um, uh, and then it was, there was certainly moments when um, that wasn't possible. And I like, like uh, you guys remember, uh, I think I, I, I sneaked into a, a friend's office uh on weekends <laughs> and he was probably taking quite a risk to let me in and uh, to use the, an office copy that i probably shouldn't have been using <laughs> so i think we all sold it for 50p didn't we i think we all had a price of 50p and um it was always 50 pence plus a stamped address envelope wasn't it and again young people go what's a stamped address envelope so the idea was you, you send your 50p postal order or check or wherever it was and you put an envelope in addressed to yourself, but it had to have a stamp on. It's uh, again, this is something from 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, so stamped address envelopes, they, they were like a, a thing of the past. But the one thing I've got to ask 
let's, let's go around the table here. The mustard, Dan, I'll start with you. Um, special memories, you know, you're talking to X number of people around the world. It wasn't just UK, UK fanzine, but we were selling them in Sweden, America. You must mm. have special memories you want to share. Well, yes. I mean, I, I, it's really thanks to being able to um, get uh, copies made cheaply and then kind of take them on the road, if you like. That that's the, that was one of the reasons I was able to see so many shows on the original River Tour, because I, I was out of work at the time. So the fanzine was really the only thing that, that you know, was uh, I was able to, to, to finance getting around with. And um, the, so that was incredibly useful. And that was also my first real opportunity to meet people properly other than people who just got in touch through mail order or whatever. And it was always a small ad in the back of the NME or Melody Maker mm. or something like that, mm. the video papers. That's how everything started. But once the ball got rolling and you actually met people out and about, I mean, Holly must have been one of the first people I heard from from the States. I'm pretty sure about that. And so that was a huge plus, not just that she was an American fan, but everything she was able to contribute. Um, people like Chris Hunt, who I've mentioned, I mean, what a, a godsend to find him with his uh, mm. extraordinary art, artwork and, and uh, creative ideas and everything like that. Um, I was lucky to hear from a, a, one or two quite special people. Um, uh, Michael Palin got in touch um, and yeah. got, got a copy. And I have a somewhere I have a lovely letter from, from him on a Monty Python headed paper. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> So that was that was a, a big buzz to get uh, you know sort of like a celebrity interest like that, uh, but but yeah the wonderful thing is that you know if I look back at many almost you know a huge proportion of the friends and people I know today, they all date back you know in many cases to um, to, to those days. Yes, yeah, yeah. long long standing friendships, and then one thing leads to another. This friend knows a friend and. Uh, and before you know it, you think, goodness me, look at all these people and all the interesting stories. It, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's been quite a privilege, really, yeah. um, to, to meet really some good. of those people who today are still friends. And uh, I wish some of them would go a little bit public and tell their stories. The stories I've heard, maybe they should put out a fanzine, shouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, it'd be quite a novel idea now. This, this yeah, is my we'll story. <laughs> The E Street Cafe podcast. Friendly chats, great stories, interesting guests. Hit the follow button and remember, this is not a dark ride. What about you, Paul? Have you got any kind of special memories from the, the early 80s when you were a fanzine editor? And um, there, there were some lovely moments. I remember, I don't know if the name Michael Stenberg um, jogs any of your memories. Yeah. But he was a contributor from Gothenburg, I think, and completely out of the blue one day, I had a letter from him. Uh, he said, Paul, I've got you a ticket to see Bruce in, in Gothenburg, um, da, 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 and married with two kids, and, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. But I was enormously uh, appreciative of the fact that he just went ahead and did it, you know, or Paul yeah. will, will like this ticket. Um, made a very good friend who actually lived in Barry at the time, who... Dan probably knows by name, Michael Anderson. Oh, yes. And he was, uh, he had two great connections, Chalky Davis, who was mm. a local. Yeah. And I spent a couple of nights with Chalky and his stories of traveling the world with everybody, you know, from the Rolling Stones to Thin Lizzy. Um, never traveled with Bruce, but as we know, he photographed Bruce in 75. And then Pete Harris, who was a DJ in Cardiff, 
And he's the one you'll remember, I think, from an issue of Uncut magazine. He told his story on the 40th anniversary. They did a feature on Born in the US, Born to Run, 40th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And we had a fantastic night out in Cardiff in 85. Um, Pete's stories about Bruce going back to the greetings days. Yeah, um, yeah, I would love to sit here and, and fill up another podcast with those, but they're his stories and I can't do it. Yeah. It involves Hardy Goldsmith and it involves um, whatever the ITV breakfast show was at the time with Mike Smith and, and yeah. all sorts, Steve Van Zandt. And, um, they're not salacious, they're not, they're not libelous, but they're his stories. And, and it was fascinating to be in the company of those people who I would not have known if I hadn't started a fanzine. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty certain I wouldn't have. So, mm-hmm. so, so they're some of the great memories because they're friendships that have lasted. It's lovely. Yeah, I think the one that stands out for me, Paul, is um, Dan knows this story. I, I'll, I'll uh, not mention names to protect the, the guilty, but um, I had a situation in '84 where somebody was um, wanting to buy the fanzine. We had the usual correspondence. And she said to me, if you ever want to come across and see Bruce in the States in 84, this is prior coming across to Europe in 85, let me know. So I said, yeah, yeah. And it's when he played his 10 shows at Meadowlands in 84. And I went across and I could make the first seven, I think it was. It was spread over like two weeks. That was a two-week holiday I could take from work. And I got over there and, and the person I was meeting said, uh, right, we're going to take you back to my house now. You stay with me and my mom. Uh, oh, by the way, I haven't got you any tickets. I said, why is that? He said, um, the guy, I remember his name. His name was Mark. So he, he was the guy who sold the tickets to a scalper. So I'd gone all the way across to New Jersey, um, stayed with this girl, um, and I had no tickets. So I thought, okay, what does a resourceful 20, how was I, 23 at that stage, just turned 23. So I decided to go to Lando's uh, office in Manhattan, knock on the door with my issue two of Rendezvous and say, this is me from the UK. This is my story. I've come across for these seven shows. I haven't got any tickets. Can you help me? And it was either Barbara Carr or who's who's the other lady that works with Barbara? Um, Back then, I'm not, I'm not sure about then. Yeah, it'll come to me in a sec. So anyway, um, all she said to me was, go to the box office at Meadowlands each night about five, six o'clock. There should be a ticket there for you. You'll have to pay for it. Um, so sure enough, six nights out of the seven, she left me tickets. And they were great yeah. tickets. You know, I had yeah. second room behind stage. Uh, they were all over the arena, different places. But I, again, it just shows you that if you want to, a, connect with people in the States, then try and resolve a, a situation that you found yourself in, that you can sort things out. And again, it's through mm. the power of the Bruce community that you can help each other out doing those kind of things. So it was that was yeah. nice, to say the least. Um, what a lovely story. Nice one. Yeah, yeah. It was a, an unexpected one, Paul, but um, <laughs> we got there in the end anyway. <laughs> so uh, so why, why Jackson Cage? Why the name Jackson Cage? Because I, I can say Rendezvous was all about, for me, you like this one because it's an outtake, um, but also Rendezvous was all about getting people together. Um, but what, why, why Jackson Cage? Uh, there, there's no great story there. It was simply because it was a place, like Candy's Room was a place, Backstreet was a place. Mm-hmm. Um and it was my cousin's um, husband was a was a great great artist, great designer, 
and he was in the house one day and he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm sort of doing this. And what's it going to be called? Yes, yeah, Jackson Cage. And he drew out the logo um, uh, with with chains on it. I think, right, yeah, okay. link, or links, link, links in the chain. Oh, yeah. And then um, I think a couple of, it was a couple of issues later, Stu Reed, because Stu, Stu's a great artist as well, isn't he? He yeah. sent me an updated version. So if you if you've got all those issues, you'll see that the logo changed slightly. And I upstairs right. in my box, I've still got the one that Stu sent to me, which was which was an upgrade, and it looked graphically, it looked a lot better than the one uh, Glenn, my cousin, did for me. So, no, so I mean, it's as simple as that. It was just. I just wonder which ones are the rare ones, then, Paul, the early ones or the later ones. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're all the there. rusty staples yeah, are most valuable, I think. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Dan? Why, why point blank? Why, why did you decide to call that? Well, it, 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 this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, pe people always ask this, and um, I think the, often the assumption is it's a favourite song, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was a song I liked a lot. But I just wanted something that just kind of felt like a, a title, if that yeah. makes sense. You know, it's just really as simple as that. And I looked at the other options that have been around. I mean, already they've been Thunder Road, they've been Backstreets. You know, I obviously couldn't use them. And I think, well, what, 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 what feels right? And Point Blank just kept sort of coming to me. And I thought, I think that that's going to work. And I'm glad I chose that because I was happy with it, with it and, and, and stuck with it. Yeah. And, um, and then likewise, one of my sort of side projects was, uh, this collection of, of unreleased lyric files, again, talking of outtakes and so forth. And I was looking for a, something to, something different to call that because that was a side project. And then um, I remember there was there was a song to orphans. And I thought, yes, these, yeah. songs, these songs are kind of orphan songs in a way. So, yeah, so, so songs for orphans, songs to orphans, that'll do for that. That was the way. You've you got that one spot on then. I gotta say, who would have known that songs for orphans would have re-emerged again? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I remember thinking how audacious it was that this Dan French could put out all these dozens and dozens of <laughs> with no comeback from John Landau or or Bruce's publishers. <laughs> you know, we're talking copyright here. And when I say audacious, I say that in, in a nice way, Dan. But well, I, I, you, I, you didn't have any no nobody queried that with you ever. No. Well, I I was. Quite confident at the time, Paul, that you know there was no way that these things would even reach someone like John Lando. I mean, I, I, maybe I was not, I was perhaps you know wild and innocent, perhaps na naive, but uh, mm -hmm. um, I just thought oh, I'm just doing this for my friends, and I wasn't including uh, audio, you know, the actual songs themselves. It True. was literally, literally True. just just lyrics, and I thought, um, what's what's the harm in it? And uh, to be honest, if if uh, back in those days anybody had got in touch and said, "Oh, you shouldn't be doing this," then I, I'm sure I would have stopped. I would have, would have been mm. quite quite obedient to it. But um, but the thing I didn't expect, uh, which came as a huge surprise, was like I said, I was just doing it for for fun. But I got all these messages from people, uh, particularly on the continent, who maybe their English wasn't their first language, and they were saying, "Oh, thank you so much. We can actually understand these songs now." Oh, uh, nice. If if they'd got hold of, of bootlegs and outtakes and things, and uh, it never occurred to me that that could be useful that way. I was just doing it because it was an exercise in collecting lyrics. Mm. Yeah. I still have my complete set upstairs, uh, as I do my treasured uh, Xerox Bruce files from from mm. Chris. Yeah. Uh, some things you can't part with. You know, I've moved around a lot. I'm I'm very settled here now, but moved around a lot in my time, and things get jettisoned, don't they? Um, Yes, but there's some stuff you 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 have to keep, and 
and they go back they go back a long way for you know those things are older than my children much older than my children in some instances and they're just lovely to have lovely to have 40 years here we go I think it's um it's really nice that you can pick these things up and you might not read them for 30 or 40 years and you go back mm. in and i was looking at issue five i think it was of yours paul and you had a quiz where there were six questions and you put the answers in issue five. So you must put the quiz out in issue four and you made apologies for how tough the quiz was. But I think three people, only three people got all six questions, right. And I, and I remember looking at it before and I thought, okay, if I look at the answers, what was the question? So let's see if I can just example. I have no recollection of this. Go oh, on. No. What's the whole thing with these things? You, you kind of write these fanzines, don't you? And then after a while you think, I never remember writing that, or I wish I'd done it better or differently or whatever. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It just made me laugh looking at it, you know, and I'm looking at the credits of the people. So here we go. Here's the answers. So answer one was model, photographer, actress. What would the question be there? It's got to be something about his girlfriend, isn't it? Joyce Heiser was a actress and model. I, I don't know who the model was, but... Uh, that it must was have been the, best born to, yeah. the born to run era girl, Karen... Oh, yeah. Dar the, Darwin. The Maddie Todd yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then answer two was Harvard Square Theatre, 9th of May, 1974. So there could have been plenty of questions around that date because, as we know, that was the iconic premiere of Born to Run. It was John Landau going there. It's the Bonnie Raitt support mm. gig. Um, yeah, so <laughs> if you look at that. Oh, it's number three. Quiz answers from number three. So you, okay. you made them wait two episodes before you put the answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, Treat them mean, keep them keen. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm looking at the prizes here as well, Paul. Do you remember what the prizes were? I think it was a Born to Run poster. No, no, no. no. Oh. The, um, the first prize was uh, a night out with Paul Limbrick. <laughs> two nights out with Paul Limbrick. It was a 12-inch um, Dutch import copy of Rosalita Racing in the Street Night. Without the poster. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. Very nice prize. Yeah, lovely yeah. prize. Yeah. It's still yeah. very collectible if you have it with the poster, of course. Yeah, yeah. true. Well, I'm sure it's got yeah. rust on it, mine, I guess, somewhere. No doubt. <laughs> If you are enjoying this episode, don't forget to leave us a review. It means a lot to us. So what's uh, the plan for 2023, Paul? What, what's your view on the tour so far? Um, for you? I have no plans to see Bruce this year. When the dates were announced, uh, Hyde Park, I would never have done. I thought, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. When I saw the fiasco with dynamic pricing, I thought, just just leave it well alone and see what happens. He has talked about coming around in 24, hasn't he? And hopefully the dynamic pricing debacle will have, yeah, would have been kicked into touch. And, um, you know, I, I, I really wanted to go because my partner, Haley has never seen Bruce and my youngest daughter, Casey, has never seen Bruce. So I really want to go and, and treat those two. But um, when you look at these prices and you factor in traveling, I mean, it's, it's going to be hundreds and hundreds. There, there's another whole debate or even a podcast about how Bruce has changed over this last 18 months. Perfectly entitled to it's his career, his money is his band. 
but there's something really odd about it at the moment, isn't there? There, there, there is. Um, I, I so, sorry to answer your question. No, no plans for 2020 yeah. at the moment with Bruce. No, I don't think it's tours cut out for multiple shows. I, I don't. I don't know anybody who's doing more than a handful no. of shows. And, and for me, I'm, mm. I'm two shows in Gothenburg, and even now, I'm yeah. thinking he's doing three shows in Gothenburg. Will he change the set list each night? Or as Stevie said in a re recent interview. Look, it's a show which goes through the era, you know, the decades of his, his career, and it's almost like mm. a, a mm. semi-Broadway show now. Uh, so, yeah, I think as Dan said off air to us, is he's playing Long Island two nights in Long Island. Um, by the time this goes out, he would have played it, and we'll be able to see two gigs, one city. Does he actually change the set list between the two mm. nights, or does he mm. keep it the same? And that will give us a big clue, I think, going into. European cities where he's playing more than one gig. It's almost unthinkable now because when we've seen Bruce over the years, it was always what's going to happen next. You know, what yeah. what will he pull out tonight? What will he start yep. with? What 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 will he finish with? The, the complete element of surprise. Of course, they were the war horses and they were the foundation to his shows, but it was always anything is possible tonight. Yeah. But that at the moment is um, is not there, is it? It's, just not it's, it's not, but I think, you know, we just, we've had Nikki Germain on, who's a partner of Gary Talent, and um, she was saying that, and we've had this from a few people who have actually called in, and what I'm picking up is the intensity and the energy in the shows is something probably that we weren't expecting from a band of 70-plus-year-olds. Um, mm. So I think the energy and the vitality of the band at that age is going to take us by surprise. The static mm. sets yeah question mark is it disappointing or not i don't know i'm I'm going in with a real open mind and go if this is the last time i see bruce and it's in a new city in gothenburg so be it yeah you've had well, you, you'll love it i mean there is no such thing as a bad bruce show is there there, there no, simply isn't true. i've never witnessed one i've never heard one on a bootleg there yeah. is no such a thing as an expensive bruce show but there's no there's no such thing as a bad bruce show even with everything that's going on the reviews have been brilliant. I've seen the YouTube clips and, uh, you know, just watching Thunder Road today with the full horn section on the coda of Thunder Road. I mean, it's just, it's, it's goosebumps. It's tremendous. So uh, nobody's going to come away disappointed. No. But it's, it's it, but it, that, but that notwithstanding, it's a strange time uh, in, in Bruce world, really. Yeah. I think my, my whole view on this, Paul, is um, gone are the days now. You know, I, I, I certainly, in the 80s would go and I would go and see 10, 12 shows on a tour. Mm -hmm. And for me now, I, I'm, I'm older, I'm more watchful of my money, but the prices, as you say, have gone up. But having said that, I would kick myself if I didn't go, I think. So I, I just decided rather than go say, right, I'm going to Manchester or Edinburgh or to uh, Villa Park, let's pick an experience. And, and I found, you know, mm. my, my wife saw Bruce for the first time in 2003 at Manchester, that was her first experience. So 20 years ago, that was her first gig. And we said, okay, how can we make this special? I made a queue up, queue up for 12 hours so we could be right at the front of the pit against the barrier. <laughs> and I think now she says to me, look, if we're going to see Bruce now, the condition is, A, I've got to be comfortable, and B, mm. to a, an interesting city to go and see him. You know, So we've done that over the years. We've travelled around Europe. Uh, to see him in the city. So we, we don't go just to um, see Bruce. And I think the most memorable one was in uh, 2016 when he did the River Tour uh, Part 2. I wanted to go and see him at MSG, Madison Square Garden. 
and we couldn't get tickets, but I got tickets to go and see him in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm. Uh, uh, we built an 11-day trip <laughs> around it. So <laughs> I think, what, what did we do? We went skiing in Vermont. Uh, we went to New York, Manhattan, because Julie had not done, um, uh, she hadn't done New York at all. And then we went to see Bruce in Hartford. So that was a very expensive trip just to go and see one Brilliant. Brilliant. It does remind me of that Springsteen and I film, which love it or hate it. There is a lovely sequence in there about the chap that is not a Bruce fan at all, yeah. and his wife is, and she did exactly the same thing. Yeah. She dragged him all around Europe, and he said, yeah. well, some good has come of it because I've seen all these cities that I that I never would have seen. So yeah, there, is, there is an upside to it. Yeah. 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 Good. So um, I do hope you do get a chance to at least um, – see him next year if you don't see him this year and uh you know you... yeah certainly if he's closer to home you know that that's that's going to help and i i don't think this dynamic pricing i'd be amazed if he announces a new tour and he's still going with live nations dynamic pricing as yeah. i know he hasn't commented on it himself really but it's i'd be amazed if he carries on with it after all the backlash but but hey i'm i'm not a businessman and uh yeah. I, I haven't got an organisation to run and take care of. He talks. But, but you must have been, I, I presume you were at the Cardiff gig in 2013, which mm. we were on the Wrecking Ball tour. That was uh, a great gig, wasn't it? Best best proof show I've seen. In fact, it's the best show I've ever seen, apart from David Byrne's American Utopia. Yeah. Oh, really? It's a kind of different sort of thing, but that's the best thing I've ever seen. Cardiff, not because it's, it's local, but... Um, it was fantastic. That, fantastic. that night was amazing, wasn't it? And then he, he went up to Leeds the next night where I saw him and I did a very, very similar, not a similar set, but a very loose set anyway. And um, yeah. two gigs in literally 24 hours with, with the travel as well. That was amazing. So, well, that's uh, another show that's going to go into folklore, isn't it, Leeds? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, it was uh, the first gig ever at that arena. And it's an amazing venue as well. I don't know if anybody gets a chance to go to Leeds Arena. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good venue. The acoustics are very good. Very good uh, viewing from everywhere. So maybe one day Bruce will go back there. We'll see. Paul, this has been really nice catching up. Um, for those of you that don't know, as I say, Paul and I have never met. We've never spoken, although we were probably sending letters to each other 40-odd years ago when we were doing our fanzines and helping each other out with little yeah. snippets and whatever. Yeah. And it's taken 41 years, whatever it is, to actually connect and talk. So it's been quite an historic evening, I think, Paul. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's lovely to do it under these circumstances because these podcasts are really nice. They're really conversational, informal. Um, you know, you've had some cracking guests. Um yeah, Bobby Chermside uh, and his his snowflake story with the feathers. I mean, come that on, was, that's uh, that was who, who knew? I'm amazed there's never been photographic evidence of that, to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah, great well, stories. We're, we're definitely going to get Bobby back on because um, at the yeah. end of it, he said to me, he said, "Look, I've not even scratched the surface with a lot of stories, and if you ever want me back on, so we're going to do um, just for those of you listening now, we're going to." Um, have a break after season one, and then we've already got at least half a dozen guests lined up for season two. And in season two, we do want to get Bobby back on because he was so entertaining and had so many stories. Yeah, lovely. And lovely. thanks to who actually introduced us through to Bobby. Yeah, keep keep listening, Paul, and keep listening to everybody else. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do. They're, they're, they're very interesting, very interesting. Yeah. 
And I think next time we have a rainy day, I'm going to look at more fanzines. And uh, <laughs> it was quite interesting. It was my birthday two weeks ago. My daughter came up from, uh, she lives down south, and she came up and she actually produced um, an A5 mock-up issue three of Rendezvous with a oh. Bruce photo from Tampa on the opening night of the 2023 tour. And inside it was a mixture of Bruce stuff, uh, tribute to a dad, obviously, and it was stuff like it was very, very. It's probably one of the best birthday presents I've ever had, just because oh. you know, my, my daughter is a, a graphic designer. She put a lot of effort and thought into stuff. So, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's quite funny. It's uh, I'll, I'll probably put that on Facebook when we come to put this episode out and publicize it. I'll put a copy of that. Yeah, on. look, look to see that. Yeah. See, you you can you can outrun the, your past when it comes to Bruce Springsteen fanzines. You see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just we're saying that this is like a, an evolution, really. Or, or you know, if you think about the podcast now, and we we I've kept in touch with Dan over the years uh, mm. and with Mike as well. But we said, you know, what can we do? You know, this is going to be the last Bruce tour, and we still talk over lockdown. We were having kind of um, Zoom calls. Uh, it's just an idea that we had. Look, let's just get a podcast together and get a community going again. You know, forty years on, um, and it's been very, very enjoyable, and we get some nice feedback as well, which is good. Mm. Well, so, it works, Jeff. Keep up the good work. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that, and uh, thanks to Dan as well for joining us tonight. And uh, we're going to get this episode out to you as quickly as we can. And uh, with the European tour around the corner, we hope that our European listeners will get out there on the road. Let us know what they think. Uh, we've got uh, Dan and Mike going to Barcelona, so we're going to get a live report from Barcelona out to you very quickly. We'll also have a live report from Gothenburg as well, hopefully. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Dan, for joining us. Paul, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And you I'm too. seeing you all these years. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to hit that follow button. This podcast was brought to you by Geezers in Glasses Productions.